everybody. Welcome to the March 4th, 2016 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the not-so-surprising news that Denver was rated the best place to live according to U.S. News and World Report. Patty, do you think it was the uh, new mobile restroom that put it over the top for us when it came to voting? It could, have, it could well have been. You know, we get these lists all the time because there's such clickbait on the web. You know, you're getting the Denver is the ninth best place to wash your dog. It's the tenth best place to wash, walk your dog after you've washed your dog. I mean, it's unbelievable <laughs> the lists you get every day. This was actually a pretty good accolade for Denver. They, it was a smart um, system they used to, to do it to t tally the votes. If you looked at it, they actually paid attention to what was going on in Denver. In the description, they actually dealt with the fact that marijuana is legalized here and what it's meant and what it hasn't. And if you know U.S. News and World Report, that wouldn't necessarily put you over the top. But it was a nice accolade on top of the Super Bowl win. Nice. Mike Krause, the Independence Institute, joins us today. Uh, Mike, what were you more surprised by, the, the fact that we were Denver was ranked number one or the fact that U.S. News and World Report still exists? I, 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 don't, I, have, I did not know U.S. News and World Report exists. The last time I heard of them was when CU Boulder was the number one party school in the country. Apparently, U.S. News has never heard that uh, Colorado has tax and spending limitations. And according to the naysayers of Tabor, that has turned this place into a third world hellhole. <laughs> so I have no idea where they came up with this idea that Denver is the most livable place in the country. I mean, we are just, I mean, you would think people would be leaving the state in droves to go to the garden state of, uh, of New Jersey or Illinois or New York or California, someplace where you, you know, where things are actually happening. Um, no, the, the only quibble I would have, by the way, this is a great place to live. And in fact, years ago, my, uh, my former wife and I, we sat down and we made a list of metropolitan areas we thought we might want to move to should we want to make a change. And we could not come up with a place, frankly, better than the Denver metro area. Um, I, the one quibble I have with their rating is the affordability and the cost of living part of it. Yes, Denver is a uh, reasonably priced housing market if you're coming from Silicon Valley or the San Francisco Bay Area or one of the boroughs of New York. So if you're coming from Cleveland, Ohio or Nashville, Tennessee, this is not uh, an affordable place to live at all. In fact, traditionally in the United States, housing prices have been roughly two and a half times median incomes, and they're well over four now in Denver. So uh, other than the affordability, I think they're spot on about Denver. Eric Sonnen, political, political analyst. Um, at what point do you think with rankings like this, does Denver be kind of become that, that Yogi Berra-ism, uh, no one goes anymore, it's too crowded? Well, that was going to be my comment, exactly, <laughs> in, that, in, in, the, in that same vein, which is, it was a nice compliment to Denver, but I'm not sure how desirable it is. I mean, I, why not make us 15th on the list? And let's keep the secret a little bit here, guys. I mean, in addition to Mike's comment about affordability, I think the other increasing issue in Denver is just congestion. Everything is a little bit more crowded, a little bit more congested. Now, there are many upsides to, to those problems, but um, I might be in favor of uh, just a little more quiet attention and uh, let those of us here still enjoy it without uh, quite the crowds. 
I saw a great uh, Twitter feed where it had that same list and had someone had marked it off yeah, in a exactly. pen and said, like, no, 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 Denver is awful. Don't, don't come here. Yeah, something like that. Uh, rounding up the panel, uh, Natasha Gardner, senior editor of 5280 Magazine. Now, as a longtime member of 5280 Magazine, do you feel a sense of pride slash guilt over the uh, the new ranking of Denver? Pride, no guilt. Actually, I'll be a bit of a buzzkill on that. You know, one of the things um, that I hear that comes out anytime we have these lists is, oh, it's a secret. We got to keep this quiet. You know, Denver's such a nice place. Let's not have so many people move here. And there's a level of hostility there that's starting to turn. Uh, it puts Denver in a poor light. Here, here's the reason why. When I lived on the East Coast, when you first met somebody, the first questions were about your pedigree. Where did you go to school? What was your job? That's what it was about. When I moved to Denver, I loved that that wasn't the question. But the question that has developed in the last few years is not where you're from, not related to pedigree. It's how long have you been here? Mm -hmm. And in that question is a hostility. I don't know what the <laughs> bar is. What, how many years do I have to have been here for this to be okay? But it, sends, it, it creates this idea that, that of Denver not being as friendly as I think we want to be. And part of the reason for that is because at 5280, I get a report on a lot of serious bad things that happen with the city, but a lot of fun things too. We just finished a year-long report on the best specialty food markets in Denver, which was so much fun to report, but showed such a great diversity of the international markets and the international community in this city. So whether we have a millennial coming from New Delhi or a new millennial coming from New York, we have to find a way to welcome into the city and create a city that we can really be proud of, not just sort of keeping the secret to ourselves. <laughs> be, hard to, be hard to do at this point, indeed. You're right. Super Tuesday brought a major win for Bernie Sanders in Colorado, at least on paper, as many Democratic caucus events saw huge turnouts, even rivaling 2008 numbers. On the Republican side, wins by the top three candidates made more pundits speculate that the GOP may be headed towards a broker convention. Patty, uh, the headlines after Super Tuesday in Colorado were all about the long lines outside of Democratic caucuses, people around the block, everyone, some people couldn't get in, uh, many people re uh, remember 2008, but it seemed to get into a lot of frustration, too, of like, well, I couldn't get in, I couldn't do my thing, so now I want a primary. Where is this going to go by the time we vote again in 2020? I think we'll probably go to a primary. Remember, we've had primaries before. We went back to the caucus system. People have general, they, they've generally been very, very sleepy. And in some ways, the Colorado ca uh, Republican caucus was sleepy because they didn't do the straw polls, so they were just electing people to the convention. And be, so you couldn't actually say what Republican presidential candidate they went for. Denver might be the greatest place to live in, but I would say we get a C minus with the caucus system. People want to participate in the process. They should have known just by the number of registrations that came in, by the January 4th deadline by the feel the burn intensity that these were going to have big turnouts and the traffic was a nightmare. I know at least 10 people who couldn't get in and they were all over town on the different caucuses because they were just so crowded. A lot of interest is a good problem. The inability, inability to accommodate those people is a big problem and I think we will see a lot of changes in both political parties and how we do the caucus. But I mean it just gets better, this presidential campaign. Who doesn't want to pay attention to it? Who wouldn't want to have gone to the caucus and see, see, to see what's going on? That's very true. Mike, if the Republicans did have a straw poll, what is, I mean, we're, it's all speculation at this point. There's no official numbers here. But where do you feel Colorado Republicans would have gone? And could that have changed some of the narrative of Super Tuesday? Well, I, I, it's a, that's a really good question because uh, if you remember back in 2012, uh, re what, what happened at the Democratic caucus this year with the straw poll, a similar thing happened in 2012 with the Ron Paul supporters. 
by, by my own, uh, by just by talking to like the the Bernie Sanders canvasser who came to my house, uh, that there are people, there were people registering Democrat for the first time or who were registered Democrats and never been involved who were showing up to try and stack the deck in the caucus for Bernie Sanders, just like in 2012, the Ron Paul kids tried to take over. And I was at the Denver Republican uh, gathering in 2012, and it was raucous, and it was, uh, it was you would you'd have thought that you were at a, a rock concert. I mean, it, it really was interesting. So who knows what would have happened this year, but I have a feeling it probably would have ended up looking like a lot like um, uh, the other uh, states look, that it would have been uh, uh, Cruz Rubio and Trump falling somewhere in there. And so that's really and truly, I don't know that it would have made any difference with regard to who, uh, who the delegates or who... Um, might end up going to uh, the the convention. Uh, the only thing that really matters now is that instead of kind of these decisions being made by the million plus registered Republicans, it'll be made by the 300,000 people who get to have a say in the uh, convention, the national convention. So if it's a brokered convention, the GOP decision to not have the straw poll will probably look like uh, uh, thoughtful foresight. Uh, I can't imagine anyone describing the thoughtful, thoughtful foresight at the GOP that's convention the only, that's, the only re <laughs> that's the only reason it'll be considered thoughtful for, for thought that if, uh, if it turns out that those uh, uh, that it could have made uh, stopped Trump from getting to the level where it was his, then uh, they'll look like they were uh, they made a very poor choice. Eric, it seems that the argument, at least we're hearing so far, against the primary system is that it wouldn't give parties enough of the power and uh, a way to tap some of that energy. We see these lines around blocks, and people want to get really excited. For primaries, you walk up, you vote, you go home. Do you think there's enough momentum after a frustrating day like this for primaries in Colorado? Yes, I do. The question is whether it will just be presidential primaries, which I think are coming, or whether it will be a full somewhat repudiation or at least changeover from the caucus system to, to a more of a primary system. And we may well have a ballot measure this year as well being pushed by the Denver Chamber of Commerce and others to open that whole process, whether it be a caucus process or a primary process, to unaffiliated voters to go to an open system instead of the current closed system we have. Credit to all those people who turned out for the, particularly the Democratic caucuses, uh, which were a little more consequential here in Colorado this year than the Republican. But you still have to ask yourself, is that the right way of do it? Um, Colorado was a complete non-factor, non-story in terms of National Super Tuesday. At 7 p.m., when all the other states were reporting and it was this national focus of interest, the Colorado system was just starting. People were just starting to assemble and get in line and sign in. And by the time you had results, it was completely after the fact and, and, and as I said, uh, a non-factor in, in the national dialogue. Yes, it gave Bernie Sanders one more win to, uh, to delay the inevitable uh, what that appears to be coming on the Democratic side. But uh, nonetheless, on the Republican side, I mean, your question about a brokered convention, that's the best the alternatives to Donald Trump can hope for at this time. No one other than Donald Trump, in my mind, has the prospect of walking into Cleveland with 1,237 delegates. The question is, can you stop him from having that? We will probably know soon enough. If Kasich can hold serve in Ohio, if Rubio can hold serve or regain serve in Florida, then there is a realistic prospect 
of, of because those are winner take all, and then it becomes a realistic prospect of keeping Trump under that magic number, and you have to keep him well under that magic number. If he goes in with 1,200, he'll figure out a way to get 37 more. You need to keep him probably to 1,000 to 1,100, somewhere in that range, and then it is all holes barred and all bets off mm -hmm. uh, in terms of what happens in a broker convention. We haven't seen that in our lifetime. Natasha, back to the Democrats here in Colorado, you have a lot of the energy around the caucus events. This really was for Bernie Sanders. I mean, there's some Hillary supporters out there, obviously, but the energy was coming from Bernie. If uh, Hillary gets the nomination, as all the math really points to, especially get to talk about superdelegates, will those Bernie supporters, especially in Colorado, be energy for Hillary uh, in the general election, or do they just go away? I don't think they go away, but I think saying that they'd be energized for Hillary might be going too far. More likely, they'll just vote for, okay, she's the default. And I think that's part of the, the, the problem that she's having across the country, and certainly, obviously, in Colorado. Um, I think the, the, one of the things that disturbed me about Saturday, or, or about Tuesday, is um, it feels like voters in Colorado are almost disenfranchised. I mean, you have to be able to set away two to three hours of your night to go and fill the burn for Bernie or Hillary. Um, if you have kids, that becomes very hard. If you have disabilities, that becomes very hard. If you have um, an hourly wage job, that becomes very hard. And I worry about what that, if, if what we saw on Tuesday, that Bernie support is indicative of the full party there, or if we're just getting a very small snapshot of who was passionate enough to make the arrangements for child care or time off from work or whatever else. And until we figure that out, I think we're going to be missing out on a larger um, discussion of politics here, particularly since Tuesday also discussed the Denver DA race, mm -hmm. which is a huge topic. And while names didn't necessarily fall off the ballot for June, um, this, this is a campaign that people need to be hearing about. And this was the first opportunity for many voters to have a chance to hear about what these candidates are, are, are planning to do in that office. So in the midst of all this, of scuffled along lines, uh, you know, standing by trees and things like that, we still miss out on, on what we were there for, which was to learn more about the candidates both nationally and locally. Colorado Attorney General Cynthia Kaufman offered a formal opinion addressing proposed changes to the hospital provider fee on Monday. At issue is whether the requested modifications, which would restructure the way Colorado classifies how hospitals collect fees, meet legal requirements. Senate, State Senate President Bill Cadman said the AG's opinion still leaves unanswered questions. Michael, throw this to you. Even though we have a pretty high-level legal opinion here, will the state Senate, GOP uh, majority, a thin majority, but still they run the place, will they let this happen? Just because something is not unconstitutional doesn't make it right, and it doesn't mean you should necessarily do it. Um, the Senate Republicans have stood very firm against this thus far, so has Senator Cadman. Uh, the fact that the AG gave a favorable opinion on the actual legality of it doesn't change the fact that the Democrat-led legislature years ago passed a tax disguised as a fee on sick people in the hospital to pay for Medicaid expansion for healthy people. So, uh, and in fact, I have the letter here from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services granting the waiver back in 2010, and it very specifically says the waiver is granted based on a tax that was passed on certain uh, inpatient hospital patient days and outpatient hospital charges. So the federal government says, we gave you the waiver because you guys passed this tax, uh, not a fee, not a hospital provider fee. Now, when you turn to the idea of an enterprise, the, there are certain aspects. There's, an enterprise is supposed to be a quasi-governmental 
organization that provides some kind of service and it's self-sustaining being paid for by the people who are receiving the service. This is the traditional definition of a fee. So for example, a water utility would be an excellent example. It's self-sustaining. It's being sustained by the people paying the water bills. And this is also the reason that people don't necessarily get to vote on water rate increases because the enterprise gets to make these decisions. Um, this is a uh, clearly doesn't meet the definition of either a fee or an enterprise because your sick people in the hospital are paying for the enterprise that they are receiving no benefit from. And so I don't see any way that you can make a, a rational argument that this legitimately meets the definition of an enterprise. Uh, and it's still a shell game and a workaround around the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. And uh, I certainly hope the Republicans stand strong against it. Eric, let me ask you this a little bit more uh, political strategy. If Republicans look at this as possibly a compromise, if they pass the hospital provider fee as a way to stunt possible real opposition in a ballot issue that would really attack Tabor in November, is that a better strategic move? There are a whole lot of a whole lot of factors at play, a whole lot of chips on the table at the Capitol, and it's going to be interesting over March and April to see how they get sorted out. And that very valid question, Dominic, which is with the prospect of a, quote, better Colorado Tabor, uh, Tabor uh, proposal on the ballot this fall, a, a new version of referendum C, let's call it, uh, if Republicans really want to forestall that, uh, they may want to take some of the air out of the pre pressure cooker here by doing something like the provider fee. In terms of, uh, I was surprised to see this opinion out of the AG, given that the level of hostility there's been between Cynthia Kaufman and John Hickenlooper. Maybe there was a marriage counselor involved or something. <laughs> but uh, given the discord between the two of them over the past several months, I was surprised to see this opinion. You still now have a split opinion. You have the Attorney General's office on one side. You have, I believe, legislative, is it legislative legal services yep. with a contrary opinion. A lot of this is going to rest with Senator Bill Cadman, the Senate president, who has been pretty far out on point saying this is not a political issue, this is a constitutional issue. And he's been going on that second opinion from legislative legal services. If it is a constitutional issue, then you can't have a political compromise. If the constitutional issue has been dealt with, then everything is back on the table and the Republicans have to decide what they want. If they're going to give this away, what are they going to get in return from the House Democrats, from the first floor with Governor Hickenlooper, et cetera? It's going to play out interestingly here over the next two months. Natasha, this is an incredibly complicated issue, even for the smart people we have around this table. What do you think Colorado citizens want to see happen with this monstrosity of an idea? <laughs> A simple list that really explains what exactly is happening here. I mean, I want that. I, I think there are two quick points on this. Um, I, I still have concern whether you agree with the hospital, the, the reprioritization of this or not. The, the constant, the annual um, taper attacks are concerning to me. We're constantly looking for workarounds. We are constantly looking for band-aids. If the question is, should we fix taper, then that should go in front of the voters. And I think we've had enough of these annual go-arounds that it's probably time for that to happen. Um, secondly, I, I have to say that anyone who's watching politics in, in Colorado has to put Cynthia Kaufman at the top of their Google alerts because she has really made a name for herself. She's gone, she's becoming a household name, but not only that, she's also proving that she can sway politics in this state on both sides, uh, in, in both parties, and that makes her somebody to watch. And so th her decision here is interesting. It shows um, that, that things are going to be, I, I don't think this is the last time we'll be talking about Cynthia Kaufman at this table. 
I can almost guarantee that one. Uh, Patty, does the state senate, uh, well, are this, is this their Alamo? This, they're never going to uh, let this thing happen? I think Eric has the right point here, which is now that it's, they've gotten a constitutional ruling, it's okay. And Cynthia Coppin was not the only one who did that. John Southers had already previously given the kind of the same ruling on this. So now if they're going to have to go to that, they have power to make a compromise on something else they want. And we might see it. I don't want to have to explain the hospital provider fee with the coffee cup again. <laughs> that, you know, when you have money coming in, if it gets too full, then you have to give some back and you can't go fill potholes with it, which is one of the things, that's what Coloradans want to know. Why are there still potholes in every street in this, in this state? They don't want to know about the hospital provider fee. They just want their potholes fixed. And we're about to fill the coffee cup up even more now with this Amazon ruling, which is that as we collect sales tax for things sold over online, the tax is going to come in and it's going to overflow the coffee cup again. So we either give it back to the voters and don't fill the potholes, or we figure out a way to keep some of the money. So this, offer, this ruling by Cynthia Kaufman actually offers up an easier way to get the hospital provider fee through if the Senate Republicans figure out what they really want because they'll be in a pretty good position to get it. Let's get a quick take on this last one. This week, Governor Hickenlooper officially endorsed an EPA cleanup plan that would create a Superfund site near the Gold King Mine. Hickenlooper pledged his support only after the plan was endorsed by the affected local governments of San Juan County and Silverton. Uh, Eric, this is a big deal becoming a Superfund site. Uh, what's your quick take? Two really quick takes. One is there's obviously the irony there of EPA now being charged and having the authority to fix up a mess that I don't want to be demagogic about it. It's not of their creation going back hundreds of years, but they were, they, they let's say, had a role over the last uh, several months in creating this problem. Secondly, I was intrigued with the negotiations going on at the local level for how this site was going to be referred to. Silverton, very clearly, it is not the Silverton cleanup site or the San Juan County's cleanup site. It has some obscure I think title. Summit Mine or something. Yeah, like that. some obscure title because after Love Canal, being a cleanup site is um, is not the branding you want, shall we say? Right. So there was a lot of negotiation of how this thing was going to be dubbed. Natasha, despite the clever titling of what the mm. Superfund site's going to be, is it going to hurt Silverton for a while? I think absolutely. But the, that, that part of the damage has already been done. The contamination is there and needs to get cleaned up, and that needs to happen. Um, what, what I think I can project, though, and I don't know how ex long it exactly would take, but I think we could be discussing this in 2026. You don't have to go far in Denver to find plenty of sites. Um, Globeville just north of here, never actually a super fun site, but it is taken, you can go up there now and you're just seeing the conclusion of a two decade long cleanup there. So whatever is going to happen there, you can put a clever name on it, you can hope it doesn't hurt Silverton, but it is going to be a many, many year process for that area and it will hurt tourism. Patty, like Natasha says, we have a long history of super fun sites. Do you think this one will be unique? Well, it will be unique if it goes quickly and efficiently, and let's hope it does, because otherwise this is going to turn into an example of destroying the village in order to save it. I mean, Silverton is rightly concerned. They depend on that tourism income, so let's hope the EPA takes a good lesson. We're just looking at places like Overland in South Denver, which, you know, finally are done. Now it's getting developed. People are living there safely, we hope. But let's hope Silverton goes faster. Mike, wrap it up for us. Uh, there's a real conflict of visions going on here because over the years, Congress has created this, these massive environmental regulatory regimes that have created in practice a monopoly for the EPA on things like this for cleanup. 
uh, and it assumes that only the EPA can do it. And in fact, you're seeing this as there's a proposal out there to increase uh, uh, royalties on mining to help pay for things like this, which is actually a backdoor way to slow down the extraction of valuable things from the earth. Uh, Representative Tipton, uh, Senator Bennett, and Senator Gardner have started a conversation about Good Samaritan legislation for orphan mines. And basically what this would say is the EPA doesn't have a lock on this. You can actually uh, uh, waive some, uh, some modest liabilities to allow nonprofits, private actors, and public-private partnerships to, to do this kind of thing. So I think uh, we should let this conversation expand before we commit to a super fund. Let's get to our favorite part of the show, as always, Disgrace of the Week. Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. He could have been dis disgraced for the last eight months, but I have to go with Donald Trump this week. Starting out the week by, oh, he didn't know enough about David Duke and the KKK to have an opinion. And, la and during the debate last night, basically offering to unzip his pants and prove his manhood. It was a low, low week in politics. That might even be another statement. <laughs> Mike. Well, I... Uh Donald Trump, but for a slightly different reason. Um, you know, it's, it, it is uh, uh, very disturbing to see a, pr a presidential, potential presidential candidate discuss the idea that he can give illegal orders to the American Armed Forces, and they would be obligated to follow those illegal orders just based on the strength of his personality. That's a real strongman attitude. Uh, and he was talking about uh, ordering the military to do strikes on the families of terrorists or noncombatants. Uh, it's a real insult to the idea of everyone who serves in uniform, who actually see themselves as, as warriors, whose job it is to uh, defend America from combatants. Uh, this is real Banana Republic death squad talk, and I think it was shameful. Yeah, I think Martin Scorsese probably blushed at something like that. Now let's go. Uh, Eric, what do you think? I think we can stipulate to Donald Trump and just maybe make that an agreement. Let me go in a different direction. The Oscars. That was hard to watch last Sunday night. Obviously, the whole race issue was the elephant in the room, and Chris Rock had to deal with it, and he did it in the opening monologue. Did he have to keep beating us over the head with it every five minutes and every interlude in the event? And then with Leonardo DiCaprio, who definitely deserved that Oscar, but you know, before you want to lecture everyone on global warming, maybe look at your own carbon footprint with the private jets and the yachts and everything else. Uh, I found the whole thing uh, tough to take. Natasha. I'm going to go back to Trump and the GOP. Um, <laughs> It's easy pickings. It is. Last night was was purely disgraceful. Um, as a young, as a parent with a young child, um, I had to turn off the TV, Being, not because the, the the topics, but the tone in which they were presented. And for me, the watching presidential debates were such a formative part of my childhood. To not be able to share that with my son at an early age is is extremely extremely upsetting. Let's quickly say something nice about somebody, Patty. Colorado Business Committee for the Arts, which has its big annual event next week and has brought back legal help for artists. Mike. All of the Colorado legislative Republicans who have stood firm against uh, basically upending Tabor and playing along with this provider fee shell game stand firm. Eric. Having ripped the Oscars, they got the right movie for the best picture. Spotlight was a supreme superlatively good movie and the best movie I've ever seen about journalism as a craft and as a profession so I was very pleased to see that. Lots of journalists retweeting that. Natasha. The South Dakota governor who vetoed the bill about transgender our students using um, bathrooms. It was a good use of a, a veto. That's all the time we have tonight. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.